Hello, good evening, and welcome to the latest episode of The Game is About Glory. I'm your host, THFC Steph, and tonight we will look back on what happened at the new, not sponsored yet, White Hart Lane today between Tottenham Hotspur and Wolverhampton Wanderers. In a game which was vital for our chances of qualifying for the Europa Conference League, which, as we all know, is the cool proletariat European competition to be in, rather than that filthy Luca Champions League nonsense. As it turns out, we won 2-0, and we might actually even make the Europa League instead. Anyway, we will also be getting our crystal balls out and gently rubbing them to get a read on who, out of the latest runners and riders shortlist, might be the next Spurs manager, as well as each creating our own perfect hybrid boss. Yes, you heard that right. We will be naming our Dr Frankenstein creation. <laughs> And you will hear who the game is about Glory's ideal manager really is. Before we get started, we've got a small favour to ask. If you listen to this pod on iTunes, you'll be doing us a huge favour. If you could spend any time at all on leaving us a review, it really helps us spread the word about this pod and pick up new listeners. Milo, Gareth, Ricky, hello. Hiya. Evening, Steph. How's it going? All good. (laughs) Yeah, all the better for a Spurs win. Yes, all the better for a Spurs win. How can I ignore that? I nearly just tried to push on. Uh, (laughs) A a win, a win. It was a win. It was a good one. And we will be getting into that. But before we do, let's get into tonight's opening question. What, gentlemen, is your most controversial football opinion? Gareth, I'm going to you first. Thank you. Well, yeah, my controversial football opinion is that I can't wait for the football bubble to burst. I think that we would rid ourselves of the commercialism that has engulfed the game over the last 20 or 30 years and we'd be back to a much purer game which was the one that I fell in love with in the late 80s and early 90s so yep let the football bubble burst please give us uh, nine games a weekend on a Saturday afternoon at three o'clock and um, Chelsea in the second tier Chelsea in the second tier yep yeah, you can, I just I yeah. just want everyone to know that you know Gareth has actually bottled out of what his true controversial <laughs> football opinion is, which is that Bobby Robson is a total wanker. He actually said to us, but he didn't even refer to him as Sir Bobby Robson. He just said, and I want you to imagine Gareth saying this because it was quite jarring for all of us. He said, "I think so." Yeah, I think Bobby Robson was a total fucking wanker, and we were all so alarmed that he's obviously changed his opinion. So anyway, sorry to call you out on that, Gareth, but it, it was worth doing. My Milo, what about you? Um, I like VAR. We're not talking about Star Trek characters. We're talking about (laughs) controversial football opinions. (laughs) I I think VAR is good. It's just poorly applied sometimes. Have you had a VAR moment live? Have you experienced VAR live? I have. Yeah, yeah, of course I have. Go on. Of course I have. Go on. What, what, sorry, what do you mean? Have I? Have you been what? in the stadium and yeah, experienced a, a great VAR moment? A moment. Oh, sorry, of jo- a great VAR moment. I don't. Mm. I don't have a kind of scrapbook full of my favourite VAR moments. It's just uh, you I, should I think do I, if you're a Spurs supporter. What are you talking about? Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's right. I, I, I quite enjoyed the one yesterday. Yeah, yeah so yeah. there's lots of VAR moments yeah, going around social one. media today, aren't there? <laughs> yeah, We've all um, yeah I, 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 I think. I think I, I think it's better than what we had before. It could be improved. I'd like to see the conversation between the ref and the VAR, uh, VAR ref to be broadcast so we can hear what's going on and understand the decisions better. But yeah, I think it's better. I sort of quite enjoy the fact that we don't know what they're talking about. Then suddenly you see the gesture. I mean, having experienced it personally at Man City in the league in Poch's last season, that was just, I mean, it was magnificent. I actually ended up celebrating that VAR disallowed goal for City. What's your favourite uh, Spurs Man City VAR moment? I mean, oh come on! There's there's only one. There's only yeah. one. That's the one that. And I think I told oh. you guys the story. Like after that Champions League moment, uh, yeah, I've been. I've actually ended up at Eastlands later that summer 
working at a concert and all the people who were working as stewards told me that when that happened, the benches behind, you know, and just for people who don't have a clue what we're talking about, and if you don't have a clue what we're talking about, then you obviously aren't a Tottenham Hotspur supporter. Uh, it was when Sterling's goal in the quarterfinal got pulled back for far <laughs> in the last minute. Apparently both benches were, were like, have been jawing at each other for like the last 15 minutes of the game. And our bench apparently was getting very, very taunty and things were being thrown and, and, and it was, it was pretty pretty poor but pretty great but uh anyway anyway it's, it's cheered me right up just thinking back to that i was just <laughs> Good, isn't it? it was just because the kind of <laughs> the range of emotions for when the goal goes in and you're just oh shit not fucking again and then you see it and you're like oh no please <laughs> uh, and it just it, it was just it was wonderful it was wonderful yeah and well i felt i felt like that at the league game because they, they scored that goal three two it would have been in 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 the in the you know added time and you're like then you see the VAR Cup, you're like, it can't happen again. And it happened again. And it was mm. just, I mean, the, the sheer anguish on others' faces. And I've been really enjoying the videos that have been knocking around on uh, on Twitter uh, of Chelsea fans celebrating their goal that wasn't <laughs> yesterday. And yeah, <laughs> just, you know, kind of puce, bald, fat mm-hmm. men in, in full kit getting close to a heart attack and then uh, and then the look of disappointment on their face is just yeah. I, I i just in, just you know he's, just, he's nearly in tears yeah oh it's just it's wonderful it's wonderful <laughs> it's just i i think actually i mean this season's been shit but uh-huh. you know if i could just have one thing is chelsea losing the champions league final and finishing outside the top four i, I think oh, it'll be worth it i could take it it's just <laughs> like i'd it probably be one of my favourite seasons if that happens. So yeah. Oh. Have you um, have any of you seen the um did you any of you see the video of the City fan outside of Eastlands for that Champions League night who had obviously oh. come out yeah. when they'd scored the goal and thought they'd won and there was like a reporter outside and he didn't he didn't even realise he thought they were through for the semi final. And it was another a bit like the Chelsea ones. It's the it's the moment as it comes over their face where you just because uh, he he thinks well, the report was it, lying. He must be lying. I've seen the goal, it's a goal, we're through. How can be disallowed or changed for well, classic injury stuff. time vars like that they do actually create old school caveman atmospheres we came out uh, coming out of Easton's after the you know the league <laughs> game that time I mean it was like it was like oh this is a slight return to the days of having to leave through Moss side and, and in the 80s I mean there were, there were proper few proper running battles outside of people just letting it all spill over themselves uh, and Ricky, I would love to ask you your controversial opinion, but I'm afraid uh, that's our time for this week's pod. We've changed the subject to the joys of VAR. Thank you very much, John. No. Okay, mate. Ricky, go on. In you get. Go on. Controversial um, football well, opinion. Well, and that I was did, a cracker, did, by the way. I did have a couple, but um, and this is not in light of yesterday, but briefly, I, I've never minded Leicester, even when they beat us in the league title. I've never minded them. But oh, my for other main sake. Come on, oh, come on. Moby's not here this week. Come yeah, yeah. My Leicester, the That's Leicester's. We've only got two guests on the program this week, so <laughs> unfortunately, Ricky's got technical problems and can't do it. Oh, come on. <laughs> I've no, I've no qualms against Leicester, but my other controversial one is Slatten is bang average. There you go. Oh, I've, I've, let me sign up for that. If that's controversy, I'm captain controversial with you. So. Yeah, Slat Slatten is ten. His reputation is ten x his talent. Put it that way. Yeah, no, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm down with that. Well, you all, you all agree with that? I thought most people would say you're, you're joking. Look at how great he is. You know. Or, no, I mean t- to me, he's everything that I hate about a footballer. Oh, you're on board, Steph. Wicked. No, he's got a gi- giant, huge ego and mouth. Was, the, Le- was the Leicester one more controversial? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, okay. To be fair, if you said he thinks he's ten times better than he is, that would still make him the greatest player in the world ever, wouldn't it? 
<laughs> in the history of football and possibly yeah, every right, other professional yeah. sport. Yeah, 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 yeah. But he uh, he certainly does have an opinion about too many things. Anyway, yes, no controversy there. But that Leicester one, whew, I'm not so sure. Well, uh, you know, my my controversial opinion is I really don't think Jose Mourinho is given enough time with this Tottenham Hotspur side, and I think that he should. <laughs> I did. I couldn't even get it out without you giggling. Okay. All right. All right. I'll be honest. I've got three. Number one, Sir Alex Ferguson was a great bloke and 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 was a, a brilliant a brilliant manager and a good bloke and good for football. I, I firmly believe that. It's because he bought you a drink, isn't it? Twice. Well, bought, yes. bought me several actually. But, <laughs> but no, I, I I firmly believe that. I firmly also believe that Eric Dyer should stay at our club and deserves to stay at our club and should be. I, I'm not quite sure I can fully back it up. That's nearly I'm, as funny as your Mourinho one. <laughs> I'm not fully <laughs> sure I can back it up, but there is something about him that is, there's a never say dyness sure about can. him. That I, there's a never say dyness <laughs> about Eric Dyer that I cannot divorce myself from. Uh, I really can't. And the final uh, controversial opinion, maybe with Spurs supporters, would be, I think Mauricio Pochettino was a huge success. And I don't care that he never won a piece of silverware. He's still the most successful manager for me since Birkinshaw. It doesn't matter that there wasn't a pot in the trophy. He was a an enormous success. And anyone who says otherwise is a complete plonker, in my opinion. Wow. Let's see you edit that one down, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I just want people to know that, you know, Milo said before we got on, he goes, oh, no, it's just a little intro question, you know, just to warm things up. <laughs> half hour later. Anyway, yeah. half an hour later. Oh, that's okay. It was well worth it, that, but that, yeah, well worth it. But VAR, my word. Anyway, Wolverhampton Wanderers, <clears throat> or I'll say that in a lower octave, Wolverhampton Wanderers. We're going to use two- the first one. <laughs> <laughs> the excitement of the VAR, of the VAR moments is still coursing through my veins. <laughs> Gareth, Tanganga, in for the injured Aurier or moving Aurier? Whichever it is, you give us your opinion on that and also how you thought Tanganga did today in our 2-0 victory over Wolverhampton Wanderers. Yeah, I thought I thought he did well. He's definitely established himself as the as the as the well, say backup right back. At least he's ahead of Doherty anyway, who um, who just can't seem to get any football at all at the moment. But he did okay. I thought in the first half there was a point where um the game just meandered a little bit and it felt like neither of our fullbacks were particularly affecting the game going forward. Um, and then no sooner had I written that down that Tanganga crossed the ball from about six yards from the from the goal line and Regulon was on the penalty spot. So um, he 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 was he was pretty safe. He's the centre. I, I still think he's a centre half playing as a right back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think sometimes that's a you know that's a good thing. I think he was a good sort of barometer of our performance today. I thought he was probably a you know a seven out of ten. He didn't really do mm. anything wrong. And I imagine he's um, he'll keep his place for Wednesday night. Mm. Ricky. We have to talk about Delhi's continued resurgence, I think. You, know, you certainly will. Yeah. <laughs> I certainly will. But actually it should be it, it this is yours to take. Am I am I oh, am we? I seeing too much? Am I am I am I guilty of you no, know seeing no, one you, truffle and thinking of a dozen or, or You're an old romantic Steph, so I know you love Delhi. But today I agree. Um he said I mean he said I think after the game he likes to kind of feel the ball and stuff like that and um and but I want him personally to move the ball and I want him to move himself quite quickly. And today he was close to that. He was a lot closer to that today. And I don't like the the dilly dally in Delhi. Don't like that. Um, that's sometimes when he drops. What's a dilly dally, Delhi? 
Well, he gets the ball and he just looks around. He puts his foot on. He looks around. I just hate all that. He comes that's deep and gets it too often. But, but, but Berbatov did that. We loved it. That's in suicide. Yeah, but he did it, it up the right end of the pitch. Uh, if if Delhi stood up, stayed up there more, where he's more effective, then I'm much more happier with that. Although today he moved around a bit and he was pretty decent. But uh, what I would say is what I've noticed in previous times when he was with NK Dons, he wasn't this dilly dallying player. He did look a lot more of an energetic. I think he said before that he he kind of worship Steven Gerrard is that true mm. that was his kind of and he was kind of modeling himself a bit on that but a lot of that's been ironed out and mm. we don't see that as much now and I don't know if he can get accused quite easily of being a bit of a show pony and I don't want him to mm. be that he, he played be he that. played deeper for him Ken Dons didn't he yeah definitely yeah I mean I'd, I'd, I'd say I, I think today was probably his best game um, since he's come back into the side under Mason. Yeah. I thought he played well. I thought the the move where uh, he broke up play and then we hit the post twice, I thought he was excellent. It was an excellent bit of uh, running there. It was a lovely pass through to Kane and uh, it was unlucky that we didn't come away with something from that. Delhi he dilly-dally-dallied on the edge of the box and then he completely megged, he megged the guy. He's gone... He's he, sh- he should have passed the ball past, five seconds before that. He's glided past the second guy and he's played a great ball in and, and Dyer is the one who's coming in mm. on it. And for a, for, for a moment, I could see the two of them reunited. I could see it happening because it looked like he was going to get on the end of it. Gareth, have you got any, have you got any stats on the Delhi Nutmeg count today? I counted well, two, but I probably missed some. Was it, no, I, I, I counted... Two as well. I've I've made a note during the game. Actually, there was thirty seconds that maybe summed up Delhi. So there was one point on the edge of his own penalty area. This is in the second half. He was suddenly marked by about three players. Instead of giving the mm. ball simple, he tried to nutmeg someone on his own area in, on the edge of his own area. Almost gave the ball away. And then within fifteen seconds of that, the ball broke up to the halfway line. Wolves had it, and then he dispossessed the fella. And that's what mm. then created the move uh, yeah. that saw Kane hit the post, and then Delhi hit the post on the um, on the rebound. He. Began yeah, he was really good today. He looked like he was playing in a slightly higher gear than everyone else. Mm. And I wrote down as early as the as the 40th minute, Delhi man of the match. And it was um, it was really amusing for those of you that were watching it on Sky. Gary Neville gave man of the match to Connor Cody, the Wolves captain, for the number oh. of clearances he made today. And I don't think I've ever seen that where a player from the losing team is given mm. man of the match, unless there's you know there's a very very late turnaround. But yeah, I thought I thought Delhi was excellent today, and it was yeah very reminiscent of the old Delhi. I mean, for me, in summation of what. I saw from him today, I saw a player that, number one, I think he's going to need at least another, you know, and unfortunately he's going to run out of time this season, but he's going to need at least another four months of regular football at the beginning mm. of next season and a whole pre-season to get back because I think his mental health must have been given an enormous knock by all of this. Um, mm. And I, I see him as a player slowly finding rhythm. But as uh, I think you were saying, Ricky, he is a slightly different player to that which he was when he came from MK Dons. And now I don't know if that started with the whole transitions for England versus what he was playing for Spurs, you know, playing two different positions in the same season. I'm not so sure, you know, there's somewhere in somewhere in all these points, the truth sits. It's somewhat of a Venn diagram situation, I suspect. But the, the upshot for me is this is a player who everyone has been saying, well, if you can get some money for him, get rid of him. Absolutely not for me. He must be kept and we must keep on building on this. I think one of the things that helped him today is that this was probably Kane's best performance since Mason's taken over as manager as well. And, you know, good Delhi's always been off great Kane. So sure. I think that I think that really helps. We've criticised quite a lot about how there's a, a lack of natural pairs in the in the team. So you know we don't have a natural pair in central defence. Quite often the relationships between the central defenders and the full, uh, and the fullbacks aren't quite right. You know similarly kind of balanced throughout the side. 
side. And one of the pairs we do have that we know works is Kane and Delhi. You know, it seems odd that, you know, that was broken up. We know that he hasn't been quite at this peak the last couple of years. But it, it does feel to me that he was blamed by Mourinho for the Everton loss on the first day. And, and then it you know went wrong from there onwards. You know, other than Chelsea imploding and everything going wrong, the kind of nice end point to the season for me would be, you know, Delhi continuing this nice run of form and finding his feet again. And maybe with the uh, expanded uh, squads to the Euros, maybe he is an outside chance of that now if, if he carries on this through the next couple of games. Oh, I completely agree. And look, I mean, we've, we're always very reserved when we speak about previous um, the, the, the previous Spurs manager, but uh, <laughs> let's just have it. You know, he obviously scapegoated Delhi in the way that a teacher sometimes comes into a classroom, picks the loud sort of like cheeky looking kid and just and just you're you're the person I'm either going to beat around to my way of thinking or you're out. And he and he, and he completely dicked him over, in my opinion. That's on Mourinho. Toby Alderweireld. How was Toby today? I think Toby had a hugely quietly confident game. I think all the back. I mean, all, I say all the back four. I so saw all the team had. A reasonably good game today. I think no one, no one was like below par. They're all seven out of tens or above. And um, I think Toby showed once again that he can be relied on in these type of games. This was simple. I'd say this was similar to Sheffield United, but Wolves are a step up from Sheffield mm-hmm. United. But Wolves in attack didn't have. Well, they didn't have their Harry Kane, who's Jimenez, and Neto, who's been a revelation for them. He wasn't there again today, and I felt a bit sorry for Fabio Silva because. Well, basically, he's pretty toothless up front. He's only an 18-year-old kid, but I did. But I think I've read today they paid 35 million for him, and he played wow 500 minutes for Porto, and that's all he'd wow. played. Is that another Mendes well, job? First of all, whenever I looked at him, I kept on seeing Pablo Aymar, the Argentinian international. He sort of reminded me of Pablo Aymar a little bit. Uh, he didn't play like him, but I, I, I actually thought. I mean, he was getting in good positions. He just wasn't very... Yeah, but usually, even, even at that... I mean, he is 18, so you have to be careful. But usually there's something... Someone at 35 million, usually there would be something about them that you would think, mm. he's a bit raw or he does this or does that or has got a deadly eye for goal or something. But he just looked like he wasn't going to cause us problems at all, which obviously then helped our defence to return to the no. point. He reminded me of another former Portuguese player who um, who donned his trade up Tottenham, which was Helder Postiga, oh, actually. Possibly, yeah. going to say uh, Helder yeah, Postiga. Pos- yeah, yeah, yeah. Hell good post- Lord. Glenn yeah. loved him, didn't he? Glenn was <laughs> Glenn loved Postiga, didn't he? And you just were waiting and waiting and waiting. Oh. It was sort of like waiting for a London bus, except yeah. two didn't come in the end. He left. Nothing happened. Yeah. So I, I've, I've got one other conclusion from the game today. And the reason why we won was because Martin Chivers wasn't the halftime guest. So just in, in, <laughs> indulge me a little bit here. Um, the last... <laughs> Martin, great <laughs> top bloke, Martin Chivers, by the way. Um, the last two times we played Wolves at home, we've lost both games. And it, one was at Wembley just after Christmas and the other one was just before um, lockdown last year. In both games, we were ahead at half time. Both times, Martin Chivers was Paul Coit's half time guest on the pitch. And on both occasions, he gave exactly the same story because... Martin Chivers and Wolves, the connection there is that he scored the goals in the yes. 1972 yeah. UEFA Cup final against Wolves. So yes, on, on both occasions, he was he was quizzed about that. And he said that as the competition progressed that year, the wives were all promised by the club directors that when you get to the final, we will take you all out on a plane and you will get to go out and you'll have 24 hours in a very glamorous European city. So they were all anticipating it was going to be Milan or it was going to be um, <laughs> somewhere in Italy. So, of course, Chivers then goes on to tell this story about, and then the look on my wife's face when I told her, yeah, you've got a hotel for a night in Wolverhampton. And I'm sure on both occasions... Um, <laughs> 
It, it, it was it was verbatim. I'm sure it was exactly the same wording, exactly the same story, and I'm sure it must have been piped through to the Wolverhampton changing room. That must have I, I, probably not many of them are actually from Wolverhampton, but it must have really g'd them up because on both occasions Wolves have come back to beat us on on both of those. So that was in my mind today. I was thinking, for goodness' sake, don't have Martin Chivers on N17 live at lunch at half time today, will you? I, I'm gonna I'm gonna actually talk about a player today who I was really excited to see return to some form, especially in the second half, and that was. Reggie, who I felt was looked like the Reggie of several months ago. He looked like, um, you know, he was finally really enjoying himself. And I'm wondering if that's a little bit because Mason has been sticking with this, you know, regular setup by and large without too many changes and that maybe he's slightly feeling comfortable again. But second half, he was he was great. Yeah, I think I think we can pr- probably just cut in what we said last week here. It, you know, he's great when he's playing in the other other half. And that's what happened today. You know, kind of the conversation we had about this uh, last week, I think we got it broadly right you know Wolves are a team that sit off and give us space and that really played into our hands so I think you know they allowed us to have uh, time on the ball um, you know that they are dangerous on the break although it helps when they've got a striker who finds you know who's who's pulling it wide every time but I mean the, you know they, they're direct and um, they can you know they create chances through that but they, they weren't pressuring us we had loads of time on the ball loads of time to build up it allowed our, our fullbacks to get, get forward and, and us to push up and it gave us space to play and it played into our hands and so Reggie was good today uh, I think you know him and Lacelso as well were much much improved after after last week yeah it was only Traore who really gave us problems because he's a real he's a real freight train isn't he when he gets going he just can't stop yeah. the man and he was he was running straight at the heart of you you know, Dyer and Toby, but we cope. But it is interesting with Triori, and I wanted to ask you all about this. Uh, you know, for me, he is the quintessential flash-in-the-pan player because he does do great things, but he doesn't actually... His end product proportionate to his lung-bursting mm. runs. It's it's not all that, is it? He, he's, I mean, if Wolves could sell him for forty million, you'd think they they'd take it, wouldn't you? I think I think it picked up a bit last season, didn't he? Sort of have a mm. bit more end product, but he's yeah. you know, it was a shame. Yeah. I mean, if if he did have end product, it'd be over a hundred million because he's literally unplayable. And that leads me to ask a little bit where we think Gio Celso is heading with us. Um, again, for me today, you know, I thought he did okay. I thought he actually. Actually, was not very good first half. I thought second half he settled in and did and did pretty well. Actually, maybe I'm being unfair. First half he played a couple of really great passes, but I, I just I'm just not 100 percent convinced with him in that role. And and uh, I you know what does everyone think? Where where is this player going with us? Is he going to be sitting back there alongside? I mean, is that his natural position for us now alongside Hoiberg? Is he going to end up competing with Delhi for for the number ten? Where does Ndombele sit in any of this? I mean, it's really difficult to know where we're going ahead with formations because obviously we don't even know who the manager is going to be yet but Lacelso is definitely one I would want to be part of that because maybe just a formation change might help him but then a sure. formation change might not help Delhi so you know yeah. it's a bit of a I, I think he's really tidy I thought he had I thought he was yeah. excellent today I thought he had a really good game he moved the ball well he was doing nice you know incisive forward passes I think he was making things happen he covered a lot of ground so I thought he had a really good game I think he's probably one of those players that you see what you want to see with him because it's not flashy and it's not mm. so maybe I'm overrating him because I like him and maybe you're under maybe you're underrating him because you you're not quite such a fan. You know, I, I think back to Modric and I'm not saying he's on Modric's level, but I think back to Modric. There's a lot of our fans who under underrated Modric or you had that kind of what does he do stuff because he was just doing the simple things well time and time and time again. I thought Lacelso had a good game. I think he's got he's got a natural business 
laziness about him, isn't he? Yeah. He wants to show yeah. for it all the time. And the other thing about showing for it, he doesn't hide for it from it either, mm. which is good. And I think in the right team and with the right whole kind of system going on, he'll be very much someone that can connect different parts throughout the pitch, I think. I think system is really key there. Uh, I'd like to see him in a, a well-drilled side where everyone knows their role. And in terms of you were saying about position, Steph, I don't like him further forwards. I much prefer him at the base of midfield, ticking things over and making those incisive passes. Interesting. I'm going to interrupt you and say that, um, <clears throat> first of all, I'll, I'll settle with you on good. As Lewis C.K. said recently in a particularly brilliant uh, piece that I was sent by a friend, uh, we sometimes do use hyperbolic words in situations where they don't fit, which leave us nowhere to go. And I think excellent is an overstatement because if that was excellent, where else has he got to go? So I'm not I'm not with you on that. I think he was good. I would agree with that. Secondly, I, I'm completely with you on Luka Modric, 100%. And as, as, as you know, I was a massive Luka Modric fan and I consider him to be the single most devastating loss of a player we had in the last decade. It was just awful. I mean, it really set us back. It's a brilliant player. And I actually have to say, I would like to see... I understand the attraction of him playing back there because it does essentially give you another creative visionary player in a deeper role. Um, you know, it's like what England tried to do with Delhi to get an extra attacking player on the pitch. And I understand that, but there is something I would love to see. I, I see him as a potential 12 goal a season midfielder. If he's mm. playing 10, 15 yards further forward. And when we play him that far, far away from goal, we're just, I think we're just negating one of the, 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 the skills that he could bring to us and one of the attributes he could bring. That's just my, you know, my yeah, I think Steph has a point there. I think LaCelso, because he did score goals for Betis, mm. didn't he? But I think him and Ndombele, I, I think they do prefer facing up the pitch mm-hmm. and not necessarily with the back to goal. But whether that means a formation change can get them a bit further up the pitch and maybe we rely mm. on just Hoiberg being in the kind of more protective role, I'm not quite sure. But of course, that would then end up in a 4-3-3 or something like that, which would mean we've then got whatever three up front, which would be Kane's son and Bale if he was still here. Mm. And I'm not sure how we accommodate Delhi. I mean, I suppose that would work in the diamond, wouldn't it? Delhi would be the point of the diamond. The I know everyone hates the diamond. It's the hardest system to get to work because we need brilliant fullbacks for that. You know, if if the Celso and the Bele were the, the side points of the diamond, Hoiberg at the base and Delhi at the top. And then you've got Sun and Kane, you know. Two more player observations. Number one, I thought this was a sacrificial game of hard work, industry, endeavour, with not very much else going on by Sonny, but I appreciated his stint. I thought he really put it in for the team today. Um, he was tireless. I mean, I saw him motoring on 70 minutes to close someone down. Uh, and I don't know about about you, but I just thought what an admirable uh, mm. thing to be doing. And, you know, all with no, it wasn't hunting for glory, wasn't taking, you know, pounding. He was being Sonny, but not very effective to the eye, but extremely effective for the team. Would we agree with that? Yeah, I think you summed it up perfectly. That's that's almost exactly what I'd written down and the thoughts I had during the game. It was a very selfless performance by him tonight. Brilliant. And then Harry Kane, Milo, uh, you've touched on him. He was sort of back to the hazard we know and love, right? Broke his three three game goal drought. Yeah, yeah I'm glad when he, I'm glad when he did get his goal because he had those two before it where I mm. thought, oh, not another day for Harry to like, you know, just miss out by millimeters yeah. all the time. I thought he put in a good shift today, didn't he? It was yeah. um, he worked hard for the team as well as well as the the goal and you know he could easily have had you know more so I, I thought it was a good performance yeah a lot of woodwork he, he hit the post twice alone himself didn't mm. he today so i think yeah. overall the um all the attacking options supported by um you know reggie and delhi real had hints of a real kind of a real powerhouse attacking unit today especially the start 
I mean, the first half, definitely, but definitely the start of that second half, there was some real quick slick mm. passing then, and it just looked like we've got potential there, massive potential. I see, and all this, and we haven't mentioned the man who set up one and scored one. Yeah. Yeah, after all those other weeks of us saying he's a bit off the boil and he's knackered, and then today he assists and um, get, follows him beautifully to get the goal he got. We are, of course, uh, talking about the Danish powerhouse. <laughs> Does anyone wish to uh, go any further on 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 Pierre Emil Hoybier? I think with his goal, it just surprised me. It, it wasn't obvious who'd scored it first of mm. all, and I was just trying to. Think, and you, your mind begins to think, well, who's likely to have been in that sort of position? <laughs> and he really wasn't top of that list. Nice. I thought it was. Um, yeah. Can I tell you what I heard in my head as he came onto it? I was hearing twos and fours and six and eight. I was hearing Thomas the Tank. He was like <laughs> watching Thomas the Tank. Woo woo! <laughs> boom. <laughs> I think this is a change in how he's being used that we've seen quite a bit under Mason. So when Winks came on, Winks was sitting deeper and Hoybier was getting oh. forwards. And we've seen that, you know, if you could the cup final, we had Winks with um, uh, Lo Celso and uh, Hoybier either side of him in a, in a more advanced position. So it is how uh, Winks has been using him more. I wasn't quite so surprised about seeing him up there. And yeah, he, he took it well, didn't he? I think he uh, is. I mean, I know he's a bit barrel chested than that, but I think he's he's a bit more than a clogger, isn't he? Because you could quite easily think the way he's busy and well, he just steams into bit. Let's, but I think he's a bit. Let's just call it. Sorry, mate. I'm just going to and, and hold your thought. Let's just call it Pierre Emil Hoiberg in the number ten behind. Harry. He started out further forward at Bayern. So under Pep, oh, further he? forward, he yeah 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 he was he was an, um, an attacking midfielder uh, there. So it's not um, mm. you know the, the, these are roles he played. You know he came through very very young at, 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 um, at yeah. so mm. yeah. He yeah, he's actually it. he's actually quite. I mean, he's actually quite quick-footed. I mean, when you look at him, mm. he does. He manages to shuffle around here. I mean, he can shuffle a ball quickly past someone. He's not. You know, we may be discovering something here, lads. We may. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe he should be deployed as a number ten. If there are more potential options there, that's all great. Because if he played slightly further forward, if Skip, let's say, sits in. Mm then why not? Why not? You know what I mean? Yeah, some managers you'll see do that, won't they? Where they've got a ball player sitting deepest, but they've got destroyers in front of them. Yeah. And, you know, maybe you could use... Uh, you know, Lacelso and Hoybier like that, with you know Skip mm. sat behind, although you know Skip's yeah. very happy carrying the ball. I yeah. think you know maybe an issue we've got is we've got a number of midfielders there that you know, can play anywhere, and mm. you know maybe that's the problem we've got is that they can play a number of positions, and we haven't got people who are great at one position. You know, maybe what we need is one midfielder who's absolutely cute, nailed on one position, and we can or, fit the others around them rather than a bit of a mix and match. Or a, or just a manager that makes them great because it's the system's there. great, maybe. That you know I mean? is the key. It's actually an advantage to have these <laughs> versatile... I mean, we're, we're suddenly realising, I mean, in the space of five minutes, uh, from nearly concluding our conversation on the 2-0 victory over Wolverhampton Wanderers today, you know, we, we've opened up a whole new seam of conversation where suddenly, you know, Pierre-Emile Hoybier is, is potentially an attacking midfielder who could, <laughs> who can, you know, Thomas the Tank his way into maybe seven, eight goals a season. So it does, you're right, it does show there is versatility in our midfield players and we've discussed it with the Chelsea as well or the Celso Delhi. I, I agree I think it is you know and we are going to touch on the manager obviously soon but I, th- I agree with you Ricky it's very and, important and as I said I, I said this the other day I've got hope that the new manager does find a midfield out of that lot because uh, there's other areas of the pitch that need fixing so mm. with that kind of group of players I'm praying that something beautiful comes out of that because we don't need to be thinking about oh we need a new central midfielder we need this because no, surely no. we can make you know I'm just praying that we can make that out of that because 
we, we we hang our hopes on that really well we can be... and that's and this is the the noble work that ryan mason is doing right now and i think that um i think you i think it was touched on last week i think you had said milo that jack pitbrook mm. had written that story and we referenced it on the pod about you know to get from a to c you have to have a b mm. and you know uh there was no way you could go from Mourinho to a new boss and mason is doing that and, and we and again we, we can cut and paste them last week maybe this stability is to show that it is possible but you know having thought that there'd be little to say about this game other than nice to get a win in a good second half here we are we've uh we've unpacked a whole bunch and let's round it off by you know with our stat run 24 shots today 13 on target i won't bother mentioning wall stats today i don't care so that's more shots and more shots on target than we managed in any game under Mourinho. yeah outstanding xg 3.14 x points 2.61 i mean you know, and I will mention that Wolves' XG was 1.09 and their X points was 0.27. So this was a convincing win. You know, yeah, Wolves missed a couple of chances, so on and so forth. But we did, as we've pointed out, hit the woodwork three times uh, and forced, you know, various blocks and so on and so forth uh, and various goal line clearances. So a, a very comprehensive win, uh, 62% possession today and i am going to have to float this question uh are we <laughs> europe are we going for the proletariat uh cup or are we going to be in the europa league or is the the impossible like mathematical dream uh still impossibly uh does anyone believe <laughs> can, yeah can yeah. we <laughs> Can we do a can we do a five minute pod on Wednesday night after Villa and I can give you my answer then? Yes, we can. <laughs> we can. I'm going to say that I think we're going to win our final two games. Uh, uh, I think we're going to end up with 65 points. What do you think is better for us? Do you think Leicester on the beach or Leicester uh, nervy? What's better for us for the last game of the season? I think Leicester on the beach definitely is the, is the best scenario for us. And if Leicester on the beach, it means that Chelsea will be shitting themselves as well because oh. it means we're the benefactors of that or not. But it would be it would it would be hilarious. And as you said, it'd be one of the best endings to a season that doesn't involve any glory for us if Chelsea were denied that opportunity. Oh, you've taken me back to my happy place. <laughs> um, but from, but I, mean, I think and as you know I've got spreadsheets to back this up and I won't put us all off <laughs> sort of track by, by displaying it on the screen today but um, th- don't worry I have been updating and Everton lost at home to Sheffield United tonight mm. by the way which okay. means that we need three more points and that will guarantee that we'd be in the top seven which would be a, yeah. either Europa League I think it's a straight shootout between us and West Ham for sixth really um, sixth place will get the Europa League seventh place will get the uh, confederations so so steph you so the uh, europa conference is in our own hands steph that's all you need to know Boom. so the true proletariat competition that all fans should be thinking is the number one european tournament in reality it's the hipster's choice the yes. hipster's choice and we love to be trailblazers <laughs> <laughs> trailblazing hipsters going to be playing clubs that you've never heard of yeah but you know it'll be cool and anyone who slags us off and let's just let's just have this as well anyone who slags us off let's just remind them that we're doing it in the proletariat tournament on the streets (laughs) i quite like watching um like travel program like um stuff on youtube and particularly people uh kind of traipsing around the former 
Soviet Union and uh, Soviet, you know, Soviet bloc. So basically, that that'll be my Thursday nights next season. So I'm well up for that. There you go. Yeah. There'd be some great away days in the Europa Conference League. I'm yeah. sure. I'm sure Ryanair fly to most of those kind of weird yeah. places. That's, that's right up their street, I think. And, and the other thing is, I've spent a stupid amount of time reading up on it, so that I know how it, how qualification for it works and all the rest of yeah. it for this for this podcast. And I'm going to be yep. really fucking pissed off if I don't get to use any of that. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, very good. This really is, for the first time in probably two months, going to be the the positive, one positive, one negative in 30 seconds will be our final word on today's 2-0 victory over Wolverhampton Wanderers. So, one positive, one negative. Ricky, three, two, one, go. Uh, my positive is not to steal Gareth's thunder here, but um, I noticed today our home form is really good. We are second in the form league for home performances, only behind City. We've got 33 points. So, And it just feels like we're comfortable in our own stadium. And that's maybe what's helped some of our point uh, performances. Negative, I haven't got a negative today. So there you go. Excellent. It must be Gareth. Um, it was the positive was it was a systemic attacking performance. Today. It looks like there's some real work gone in there and we're not just reliant on individuals to win us games now. Uh, the negative for me, so I could put my traditionalist hat on, why on earth Wolverhampton Wanderers were not wearing their uh, gold and black kit today oh. is beyond me and it's a slight disappointment I, as well. I, li- I like the Portugal shirt they were wearing. Yeah, I like it when Portugal wear it, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's blatant and up front with Wolves, isn't it? We are Portugal, basically, so we'll, just, we'll wear your kit if you want. Fully invested. Milo. So, positive. Reggie played well. So, but I could have had Hoybier, I could have had La Celsa, I could have had Kane, I could have had Delhi. Yeah, I could have had Bale. All of them were a lot better than they were the last game. Could have had Dyer. You know, all of, all of them were a lot better. The negative, and it's been, it's awful. All, all the last kind of year, 14 months, Darude Sandstorm. I hate it. <laughs> My positive uh, is still, I mean, other than the, you know, the second half performance and the fact that I think it's probably the first time that we've seen a Ryan Mason team come out for a second half with somewhat of a rocket up their ass and really kind of step it up a gear, which I felt we did. I felt we stepped it up a gear in the second half. So it's nice to see that Ryan, Ryan Mason had, had a big effect seemingly to me and uh, Delhi another positive and I actually am going to go with you Ricky I'm not going to I, I really couldn't really think of any negatives today we're now going to touch on some news that has been kind of rumbling on for the last few weeks and it is uh, as a fallout of the uh, short-lived ESL proposal involving the supporters trust and the board let's just say there's been a lot of back and forth between the two parties uh, you know there was a moment where Right after the ESL proposal, the trust turned down a chance to meet with the board and wanted the board to resign. Uh, there's all sorts of kerfuffle, which I mean, we get into so on and so forth. But we'll let's just leave all that as the past, because what has happened in the last week seems to have been uh, very conciliatory. Last week, the board issued a statement which included an apology and a commitment to fan representation on the board. At that moment in time, I don't think anybody was too sure how that uh advisory panel was going to come together to choose uh what fa- you know what fan representation it was going to be towards the end of the week here we got a statement from the uh, supporters trust they said we've agreed with uh, official spurs the thfc board representatives will meet with the supporters trust board representatives on tuesday may the 18th to discuss the club's proposals for an advisory panel and fan representation at board level um they will be updating everyone 
uh, after the meeting next Tuesday. You know, let's keep it brief. I mean, I'll, I'll kick it off by saying I think it's really good to see that all parties have found a, a pathway forward. And I'm uh, I'm hopeful that this will lead to something, you know, very fruitful and, and very positive in terms of uh, fan uh, representation with the club. Who wants to come in? I think the uh, as someone who actually sat in on that um, Supporters Trust members meeting a couple of weeks ago when they decided they were going to issue that statement demanding that the the club's board stand down for me the club's always kept the trust at arm's length they've always had them really where they want them and you know kind of all credit to 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 cat and martin and and the trust i think they've achieved a lot there just by the fact that they get some dialogue going and they do have that audience with the club but i mean I, i i can't help thinking that for me when the the football club thinks of its supporters it's not perhaps what we think of as supporters so for us i i think the 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 phrase that's going around at the moment is legacy fans which i think we would probably all describe ourselves off or typically barry from chesant who's had who's had who's had a season ticket there uh, at the stadium for the last 40 years is a legacy fan but is that really the sort of fan that the club engages with or, or seizes its seizes its future i'm i'm not sure that it does um so perhaps one thing by having this this fan board is that it will incorporate um wider aspects of the club's fan base mm-hmm. um i mean i was looking at the, the composition of the club board at the moment is seven members it's, it's quite a small board um it's it's daniel levy matthew collicott uh, donna cullen um steve hitchens and rebecca cable who we think is leaving the the board listening to the rumor and then there are two non-executive directors as well who seems very much from the world of um the world of the commercial and i think one of those non-executives stood down last week i can't remember the name of it now but there was an announcement that one of them was standing down it's either ron robson or jonathan turner were the, are the two that the list the club list on their um on the website i'd be guessing if i if i said which one it was but there was definitely one standing down yeah i, I mean i'd agree with that gareth i think um the club probably wouldn't be looking at fan representation on the board if it wasn't for the pressure from the trust. And, I mean, let's be honest, the voting block is going to be in favour of the club, isn't it? Giving one vote on that board isn't going to make a huge amount of difference to many decisions, I wouldn't have thought, unless it's kind of what colour to paint the toilets or something like that. But it's still welcome. And I know that a lot of our fans made warm noises when Chelsea announced that they would have a couple of fan observers on their board. And our board has gone a little bit further than that. When the announcement was made earlier in the week, I, I did wonder whether it was an attempt by the club to uh, usurp the trust and by setting up its own um, kind of fan consultation, whether whether that would be the avenue that they would engage with the fans rather than directly with the trust anymore. Well, it would appear, though, that if they're engaging with the supporters' trust, that that may be a secondary option and maybe one that was sort of put out there as a quote-unquote tool to get the sports trust to agree to Possibly. an in-person meeting and by the way toilets uh, at a stadium should always be uh, lights they should be light colored you don't want a dark toilet i don't want to step into a dark toilet Sorry. so i think i think we found our non-exec fan to go on yes. the board <laughs> no dark toilets there can be no dark toilets at, at white hart lane uh <laughs> i just think um well it was kind of the trust's idea that they wanted fan representation so you could say the board's like at least they've come towards them on that kind of issue mm-hmm. you know at least they're kind of playing ball as such but i think i think it's really good that a, co- a week or so ago i was really worried that both sides are painting themselves into the corner and it was difficult to see a way out of that and i yeah. think I- i'm really pleased that um you know firstly the you know the club belated issued an apology and i think the apology was 
slightly measured in terms of kind of what they were apologizing for it but either way you know i'm pleased that they belatedly did that i'm pleased that they've put um, forward a way for fan representation to be on the board i'm pleased that the trust have budged as well and uh and that both sides are talking to each other that's that's got to be a positive for supporters and that's got to be a positive for the club so from painting themselves into corners to coming together to agree on the color of paint in the new white heart lane uh, toilets and a good move by everyone on that note so wonderful but anyway yes it can only be positive what's happened with the supporters trust and the club and uh, and we look forward to hearing hopefully positive news from tuesday's uh, meeting and now we turn to uh well the subject that is on the uh the minds of every uh every one of us every spurs supporter and that is uh who will be the next manager of Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. Uh, let me help us here by weed-whacking some of the, the early uh, runners and riders and the, the, the unlikely ones. So Scott Parker, unlikely. And then we've got the Italian job lot, which I think is really weird. Uh, somewhere uh, along the line, you know, Allegri was in there, Inzaghi was in there. Uh, and, Conte. And Conte. Uh, um, yeah. Just the whole of Serie A, basically. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry was yeah. in there. What on earth? I mean, that was a sorry state of affairs to see his name even connected <laughs> with us, to be fair. And then, of course, we went far and wide. Uh, you know, Roberto Martinez, who probably has an excellent agent, he got circulated. Poch got recirculated, which is ludicrous. Uh, just, you know, at a certain... but somewhere in all of this, we seem to have ended up with two names. <laughs> we, we've ended up with Brendan Rogers. And Graham Potter. So for the sake of clarity, chaps, why don't we focus on these two names? First of all, and I throw this as an open question, do we believe that these are the two names from which we will be getting the next Tottenham Hotspur manager? Yeah, I think unless something comes completely out of left field, as it did with Jack Santini back in 2004, which is the, which is, which is the obvious one to throw in at that point, the, the names seem to be coming from quite good sources within, within the wider media, don't they? And these seem to be the two names that are sticking at the moment. So I, I, my gut instinct is it will be one of those two. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think well, it probably will be one of those two. And I, I don't mind either of them in the sense of the kind of the kind of culture and tactics that they bring I'm up for that but um what I would say is looking at Rogers yesterday or on Saturday in the cup final does he look like someone that's going to be joining Tottenham in two three weeks or am I just he looked quite reasonably content and happy and in love with uh, Leicester? yeah I, th- I think he's very happy at Leicester and you know what? I think the working environment at Leicester must be a real pleasure to work in he's very much the big fish in a, in mm-hmm. a relatively small pond there as well which probably probably suits him and Look, if they are to finish in the top four and get in the Champions League next year, you'd think, why would he be in a rush to go? I actually think he'd be a better, I think he'd be more important or he'd be a better fit for Arsenal if they change manager this mm. summer than he would be for us. I think the other thing with Rodgers is he's tended, I think, to stay at, stay in jobs a bit too long. I think he stayed at Liverpool. You know, he, he went off the boil there. Um, he stayed at Celtic, I think, a bit longer than he probably should have done. I think if you look at his career to date, I think he's probably more likely to stick than twist. I have to ask, what motivational poem do you think he would have framed for Delhi? <laughs> I mean, you know, I think of some of the things he's done in the past and some of the things you hear about, like, you know, was it, he, did you do stick figures? 
Yeah, the youth I, I players the drew a big crown Liverpool. on their head and said you could be king and things. Like. I mean, he does. He, he he's a little bit. I think he's matured a bit. Well, they, yeah, they had that fly on the wall documentary, didn't they? When he just took over at Liverpool, and that's where you had the envelopes episode in the yeah. changing room on the pre-season tour. So just close your eyes for a moment. <laughs> close your eyes. Close your eyes, please. Close them. You're not closing them, okay? Okay. And today we can announce that the new manager of Tottenham Hotspur Football Club is. Brendan Rodgers. Brendan Rodgers will be taking over at Tottenham Hotspur and bringing with him all his assistants from Leicester. What's your emotion? How do you feel? Yeah, he's a good manager. He'll yeah, be bringing right. poems. He'll be bringing Shakespeare with him, right? And I mean the yeah. assistant so, coach Shakespeare. So, not so, the, you know. so if we compare that, Milo, to when Poch was announced, because obviously, mm. you know, with hindsight, we love Poch massively, but he was just coming from Southampton. So how did you feel the day when he... So no, I, I was I was full potch in at, at that point so um i I'd, I'd liked what was going on at southampton yeah. and yeah so i was i was a very much an early potch adopter so you you like you must like what's going on at leicester but you just don't particularly like rogers that much in the personality yeah, yeah so I, yeah. I think the yeah. i think the club is really really well run um so i think um they're you know they're punching well above their weight and and you know there, there's a lot of things that are to, to admire there and part of that is i, I also they play nice football i think rogers is a good manager i also think he's a bit of a prick and one of the things that i wonder about rogers if rogers came in and did well for a season or two and chelsea came knocking would he fuck off well he is a Mourinho disciple i mean this is something i can never get out of my head he got his breakthrough jose right i mean which shouldn't stay in anyone i suppose but But milo given your other kind of two three year cycle thing which you think most managers Mm -hmm. are in then that wouldn't really be that bad would it um it means it disrupts us obviously but i'd be pissed off losing anyone who was doing well with us to chelsea Oh, Full true, stop. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow, yeah. <laughs> of the two, my preference is towards Potter. Which is a good thing because, let's be honest, I agree with Gareth and let's have it. I don't think Rogers is coming to us. I no, don't, I don't think, think he's he is interested. Either. I don't think he, him and uh, I don't think him and Levy would be a good fit at all. I think it would end in tears. I think Rogers is actually learnt a little bit from the Mourinho school of, of, of managerial self-protection. I think he's very clever. I don't think he would allow himself to take the fall. I, 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 I don't know. see the same issues with Levy that you do. I think no, you know, I he's, not, he, he's not buying any players at Leicester. He's having them bought for him. And, you know, half of that Leicester squad are players that we were interested in, but uh, for one reason or not, haven't signed. So I, I think, you know, if, if positions were switched, I, I you know, I, I think there's several players of that Leicester squad who could easily be at Spurs now if Rodgers had been our manager at the time. And I also think there's plenty of players in the Spurs squad if they're playing for Leicester this season who'd be a, doing a darn sight better than they have for us. Yeah, I think Lo Celso in, in that Leicester side would look quite at home. I think Ndombele, he, he'd, uh, he'd love to have a player like that. You know, I think um, I don't see necessarily see that as a problem. I have to be blunt and interrupt you for a minute and say that like I, my judgment of Brendan Rodgers is definitely personal. It's definitely based on the fact I do not like how he projects as a manager. And it's possibly tinged with with a swathe of ignorance because he has done well at every mm. club he's gone to. He did a good job at Liverpool at a hard time. He, he lost. I mean, he had no control over how Suarez left and so on and so forth. I mean, things were happening at that club that were quite turbulent when he was there. He did do a great job at Celtic, which, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't care what anybody says, it's still a massive club that has big demands. And, you know, yeah. you, you, you have to deliver, otherwise you're a failure. And so I suppose if you look at it from a purely football sense, it would make sense, but it's just not going to happen, in my opinion. I mean, it just won't. So What Milo and Steph says is valid in the sense of, it's always with the manager with me and the club. You've always got that triangular relationship at the club between you mm-hmm. and the club, you and the manager, the manager yes. and the club. And you want that to be as perfect as possible. Yes. And we had 
had it absolutely perfect with Poch. Yes. All, all angle, all, all that kind of triangle of thing was in perfect motion. And, of course, if you've got any doubts about Rogers or as you think he's a bit of a prick, then that does jeopardise that slightly. And you kind of want you want the whole package. And I know that's mm-hmm. kind of Nirvana, really. But, you know, you've got to aim for that, haven't you? Oh, here we are now. Entertain us. That's one yeah. of the things we want. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I, I, uh, but what I don't want Brendan Rogers to do is, yeah, come as you are. No, thanks, Brendan. I'd like you to switch a little bit, be a little bit less of a, a weirdo, in, if you will, uh, uh, and, and be a little more on board with the fans. But you are right. And I do think possibly being self-critical, I am guilty of expecting that triumvirate relationship to be perfect. Mm. And I don't think it ever will be that perfect again. So I'm going to have to lower my expectations, I think. Um, but should we... One more... Yeah, Gareth, have the final word on on, on Brendan Rodgers. Yeah, no, I, th- I, th- I think we want someone who's going to be an innovator and I think we want someone who's going to feel be original and feel original to us. So yeah, Poch had been at Southampton, but essentially he was our manager. And I think where we've gone wrong in the past, it's because we brought someone in who mm. ironically has done some really good things at one of our big rivals. And we've said, come and repeat that and, and, and do that here. And I think Liverpool aren't one of our big rivals, but Brendan Rodgers, we're not asking him to come in and do something original with Spurs. We're saying to him, bring your blueprint that you've, that's been successful for you at Leicester and to a lesser extent at Liverpool. And yeah. of course, let's face it, you know, we got the wrong uh, combination of letters for the last manager we had mo when we know that po is the way to go right we had potch it worked <laughs> right moo did not mo p-o-t-t-e-r graham potter step up take the plaudits of this particular group of supporters because let's face it we all feel that he's going to be graham potter am i correct are we going to put ourselves on the line here and say, Graham Potter, for, for all the reasons we've been talking about for, for, for quite some time in, in various conversations about, you know, the fact that he has Brighton uh, playing some really tidy football, which if they had a striker would possibly have resulted in, you know, at least a dozen more points for them. He has experience. He has uh, you know, style. He has a plan. I mean, he seems like it's the right candidate, right? Yeah, I mean, I think genuinely, and Nailsman, I think, was our first choice. <laughs> I really do. And we might have even got rid of Mourinho early because we wanted to show that we definitely want you to come. But that's all gone now. Mm-hmm. And the list of who might come, because I don't really want any of the established people like Allegri or Benitez or anyone like that. So I think we oh. need, like... like um, Gareth says, an innovator, someone with fresh ideas, something that we can really get behind. In the same way as we had that initial journey with Potter, really. And I think Potter does fall into that. I mean, you could Mm -hmm. argue that it's not a very sexy name and that kind of thing. And it does feel a bit risky because although he's done well at Brighton, I mean, they're only just literally above the relegation zone and but he's 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 more advanced than what Scott Parker would be because I think as Milo mm-hmm. said before he needs another job before then maybe he comes to us mm-hmm. so I'm just a bit worried that some fans might not buy into it but I mean we was at this stage when ABB went and Sherwood was there mm-hmm. we all thought it was a big shit show going on and then Potts mm-hmm. walks in the place and then before we know it we're on a magical journey and yeah. I think there's no reason we can't really do that again I don't think no, I think people are a bit sniffy about Potter yeah. because he's um, because of the, his route to where he is now because he's not an obvious alpha male and all that kind of football bloke stuff. I think a lot of that turns off some football fans. Yeah. Um, it turns me on. Mm. I like the fact that um, football nerd. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, he's uh, like you know, you know, who cares. So I, I think that if this was the Bundesliga, the top clubs would be looking at Potter. And I think it's the kind of football bloke stuff that makes us a bit sniffy about him. Um, he's a smart bloke. He's far more interesting than kind of most of the candidates you're talking about in terms of what he's done, his background. He's got 
Bryson playing really good football and he's you know done the same same elsewhere I think he'd be an interesting choice the other thing with him kind of you know when I was talking about uh, Rodgers and uh, how I could see him clearing off to Chelsea at the first sniff of interest I think there's a chance with Potter that he might build something and it might go beyond that and that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm saying that I still think that you know you've got to plan on the basis that most managers are around for three years you know maybe four years because that's standard but I think there's a chance that he might build something that lasts you know lasts a bit longer I'm just wondering whether there are some similarities between him and when David Pleat joined the club having been at Luton in the past I mean apart from the dance across the pitch at Main Road he took which was a small team in Luton kept them up by playing some good football didn't he and then got the call up to Spurs which must have been quite a big step in mm. what was it 1985-86 time to come from Luton to, to Spurs who we would have been a team aspiring to, to go on and win the league at the time sorry late late ticking news here late ticking news there appears to be exploding on the pages of the international media or at least one small forum on my phone well it's Milo's local club, actually. Jean-Paul Gaultier, otherwise known as Christophe Gaultier from Lille. His name has suddenly sprinted to the to, near the front, you know, rivaling Rodgers and Potter as a, 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 for the last uh, for the last hundred meters here. I mean, is there <laughs> any truth to this? Do we think? Do we think there's any reality? There's been talk about him leaving for um, at the end of the season for a while. I don't think it's much more than that. So I've watched Lille quite a lot this season. I, I watch a fair bit of uh, French football, and I'm not sure that the way he's got them set up is what we want right now. So that you know, they're quite compact. They sit quite deep. Yeah, I'm not quite sure that's the kind of front foot attacking football that the board are meant to be interested. Interested in playing, so I, I think he's. I think he's there because there's talk of him leaving at the end of the season, and that um, it, you know that, that they've done very, very, very well this season. Okay. Rather than anything else, I'd be surprised if it was him. Quick question for you before we move to the final section of this uh, particular topic: Do we think that Steve Hitchin is part of this process and will be the quote-unquote director of football for? and working with, well, he'll be for the club, but working with whichever manager comes in? Uh, Or do we think that the next manager is going to come in and bring their own sort of suggestion for who that person should be? I mean, that would be the wrong way around. The manager shouldn't be choosing the director of football. It should be the other way around. And if if what we're led to believe is true, Hitchin is the one drawing up the shortlist. Mm. Um, And as Gareth said, he sits on the club's board. So all those things combined, I think if Hitchin was going, he would have gone... Yeah, earlier in the season and we would have brought in a new director of football yeah. to oversee this process. Right. The fact that that hasn't happened, you know, doing that now would... Be a bit weird. It, and it, it would, it, you know, what we ultimately could be doing is undermining the next manager. Mm-hmm. So... Okay, yep. Very, you know. very, I think, very, very I think any, any kind of restructuring like that, there would have been rumours of that already and it probably would have been underway, especially now in conjunction with a new manager. I mean, it's something mm. that I think that we should look at because I think there are gains to be made at that level in the kind of director of football level, player recruitment, Mm-hmm. And just dealing with that kind of thing, because I think there is some validity in keeping. Maybe Levy needs to be a little bit more off hands with that. Just set yeah. the budget, set the wage budget, set the transfer budgets, and then mm. cast I, people I, off with it. I, I think you, you were talking about Capelthorne earlier on, weren't you, Gareth? And I think 
uh, I think her title is actually sporting director, isn't it? So it's a bit mm. funny in terms of how. So you know, maybe you could see a director come in who looks after the football side of it, who is senior to Hitchens, and Hitchens is still there. And you know, maybe you could see a restructuring like that. But at this point, we're going to assume that Hitching is part of whatever future deal I in think the next so at few the years we've got. got. Yeah. Yeah. And so my second question, final question, really here is, you know, do you think that? Uh, and again, this might be another one of those uh, somewhat naive questions, but I'll ask it anyway. You know, is there any truth to the thought that perhaps the Harry Kane situation is going to influence the next manager that comes into the club? Or do you think that we are beyond that point and that we realise that, you know, the club will always have to be bigger than our biggest star, however big that star may be? I think I've said it on the pod previously. There'll be a point in the not too distant future when Harry Kane's no longer a Spurs player. And that'll either be because he's sold, it'll be because he's retired, but there'll be a point when he when he isn't. And we, we've seen what's happened to Arsenal when they've let their star players who are on big wages perhaps dictate what happens at the club. And as much as Harry Kane is as Spurs as we are, I think it would be very dangerous to be selecting a manager and selecting a management team based on the wishes of one individual player. I think I think all we've got to pray is, is that we get... Uh, and with the contract length, we've been having another three years still on his contract. I think um, that's massively going to help. We've talked about this all before. But I think if the new man come in and we can get Kane to stay, I think if anyone came in like Potter and we ended up with a kind of potch kind of path of improving, then basically that will equal Harry Kane stand at Tottenham forever. Because he'll, he'll be satisfied with that kind of, you know, progress, I mm. think. Because you'll see we're going places or we're challenging and that kind. So one thing that I've concluded from our conversation is that, you know, whilst we can appreciate the merits of Potter, discuss the attributes in a positive sense of Rogers, we don't actually have the perfect managerial candidate for Tottenham Hotspur Football Club at this moment in time. So... Just to bring the listeners into something that we talked about at the top of the show and that we're now going to do, we thought it would be fun if we each took a moment to consider the perfect manager as Frankenstein together in a hybrid fashion. Uh, What we've done is we've taken elements of the best managers in the world over, let's say, the past 30 years. I think we used the beginning of the premiership era as our marker. Uh, We didn't restrict it to the premiership you could obviously go abroad and pick elements and we've gone into our individual laboratories and we've put together not just what each of us consider to be the perfect manager for Tottenham Hotspur Football Club but we've also named them yeah if you don't mind guys I'm going to start just to get us going I have gone for the physique of Diego Simeone the aura and playing style plus the vibe lemons and all of Poch Uh, The paternal, tough winning mentality of Sir Alex Ferguson. I'm going to go back to the dress sense of Simeone and then by proxy Poch. I mean, I just don't think I've seen a manager ever look cooler than Poch did on those Champions League nights in in that black suit. The media savvy of Poch and the sheer shithousing nous of Sir Alex Ferguson, which I think remains, uh, uh, you know, he was just brilliant. He managed to do it in such a way he kept people on on side. So uh, I would like to present to the world uh, my ideal perfect Tottenham Hotspur manager, Diego Fergacino. (laughs) (laughs) Ricky, uh, carry on. (laughs) Whose was mine? Mine was the smiles and charm of a Mr. Terry Venables transfixing the media, gutter press and all, into a pack of lapdog. And that's only what I'm putting Venables in there for because I know some of you probably don't like some of his other aspects of his character but he was good with the media. Bielsa for setting high minimum standards because when I watch him on the touchline he seems to rage and I can never work out what he's raging at he's just raging at very minimal things Wenger dare I say 
controversial, for his ahead-of-the-game tactical and scientific approach, and Ranieri for basically having absolutely no edges. You could never do anything but like the guy. He was such a sweet bloke. And I present Terry Bengaran. Or is that <laughs> is that number wang? No? <laughs> <laughs> Terry Bengaran, I like that. That's that's got a bit of a bit of continental and a bit of the full English, and it's got a bit of everything. Yeah, that's right. Terry Bengaran, very good, very good. Gareth, you're next, and this is going to be this is going to be big. I know. <laughs> Gareth, Gareth, let me just say your laboratory is going to be intense, isn't it? This is not. This is not just you slapping things together. This is. I, I actually am hopeful. I'm hopeful that there's not some corpses and cadavers lying around, and that he hasn't actually stitched him together back there. But anyway, go on, mate. Well, you are going to give me a great opportunity to um, to um, to right one of the wrongs that was um, said against me right at the start of this pod. But anyway, I come on to that. Anyway, you spoke about Potter's dress sense, and the first thing I thought of when you posed this question to me was, if we're looking for a sartorial mashup, then I can't get rid of the idea of um, the Exeter City manager. Paul Paul Tisdale, who would wear a cravat quite often, and then combining him with the former Wimbledon and Norway manager Egil Olsen, who famously donned a pair of welly boots mm. to games. So think about that as um, from a, from a sartorial <laughs> perspective, first of all. Um, now, for the manager, I think I'm going to go with the idealism of Aussie Ardiles, because who wouldn't want to see five up front and the flowing football that, that should bring? So you've got to counter that with a bit of defensive pragmatism. And by all accounts, he's a really nice bloke, and that's Rafa Benitez. Then I'm going to select another former Spurs manager who I'm very fond of I know not everyone shares uh, my, my thoughts on this one but I think Harry Redknapp's man management skills and just getting him to run around a bit sometimes can't go too far wrong with that and then look I, I, I've got to say I was a nine-year-old in 1990 so he's a god to me and that is Sir Bobby Robson um, who I was who I was accused of calling a wanker at the start of the podcast too, uh, which, which couldn't be further from my mind in fact I was at a friend's wedding um, the day after he died in August 2009 and my table started up and um, started up a minute's applause for Sir Bob so um, I'm therefore presenting to you Sir Ozzy Rednites wow fantastic well uh, that 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 is great and uh, and Milo the best till last. Come oh, on. I'm sorry. I misunderstood the brief. I've gone with my personal, my perfect Arsenal manager. So I've gone with the brains of Paul Merson. <laughs> hang on. Hang on. I'm trying to quantify exactly what that looks like. And I'm going to need a microscope. We're going to need a microscope. Um, the, the managerial record of Sol Campbell and the modesty of uh, Tim Sherwood. I'm giving you Sol Mercewood. So, <laughs> so, so that's the rival manager. I, I'm hoping that Arteta goes this this summer, and uh, Sol Mercewood is uh, is coming in to replace him. Sol Mercewood is uh, so we call you Special Agent Milo at this point. You'd be doing uh, that was what we call you. Well, guys, uh, you know that that is brilliant, and and once again, I think that I think we need to just round up, and maybe we can ask uh, listeners to vote on which one of these they think would be the one. I presented Diego Fergacino. Uh, Ricky presented Terry Bengaren. Gareth presented Sir Ozzy Rednites. And Milo presented a manager that we all agree would do a fantastic job for the goons, Sol Mercewood. So that one is a, that one's a clear. So if, if we do put this up for vote, we're looking at three. And it'll be interesting to see uh, who people uh, wish to pick. But uh, that was a fun thing. Very good. Thanks, guys. Okay, let's move on. Uh, final two games of the season. And, uh, you know somewhere in here there's still stuff to play for it's 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 tight it's 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 getting it's actually quite exciting you know we got villa on wednesday in front of ten thousand fans new home shirt uh 
excellent home record this season. Um, and then and then we go to Leicester final game of the season, where actually we could end up being spoilers for 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 a couple of different sides, whilst also maybe sneaking into uh, Europa League or even tripping backwards across the line into the promised land that just seems impossible at this point. What do we think is going to happen? First of all, three points guarantees that we finish above Woolwich for a fifth season in a row. And I think we've all been a little bit nervous about that over the last week. That's something that felt like it should have happened and should have been guaranteed a while ago. Winning against Villa also guarantees that we finish in, in at least seventh position as well. Look, I'm, I'm quite comforted by the fact that despite Jack Grealish returning, which definitely makes a big difference for Villa, they did get beaten at Crystal Palace today. So at home with the crowd behind us, I think we, we only needs to be an ugly win, doesn't it? And I think we might just get it. And I appreciate I'm being incredibly reactionary because this time last week I said we'd get one point from our last three games. I think if we beat Villa, it kind of doesn't really matter from our perspective what then happens against Leicester. It's only pride about finishing above West Ham, I think, that's at stake then. Which is quite enough to be getting on with, in my point, in my opinion. But, uh, uh, Ricky? Um... I don't know if I've given up predicting what we might do or might not do. Uh, probably pretty much what Gareth said. I mean, I don't know what other angle I can bring to it, to be honest. Um, I think we'll be, like I said before, our home form's great. I think we'll beat Villa. I think we'll have too much for them. And uh, it just depends what's... I hope there's nothing big on the lesser game because I could do without them having another time where they rub our noses in it or, mm. you know, that kind of thing. Despite how much I like Leicester. <laughs> <laughs> Milo? Yeah, I, I, I think we'll beat Villa. Leicester's a tough game. As we were saying earlier on, I, I'd be happier if they're on the beach by then. Oh. And, you know, Chelsea have got a, t- a tough couple of games, haven't they? So, yeah, I think we're going to finish seventh or above. So I think we're going to beat Villa and... I have a completely different view of the Leicester game to all of you. I think it's massive and I think we need to treat it as a massive game. And if I'm Ryan Mason, I'm telling my players, hey, this is for 2016. You know, this is for them stealing spotlights that we should have had Mm. in the last few years. This is for everyone thinking that you're going to go soft in the last game of the season and go on the beach yourselves because you've secured the proletariat cup. And I want you to go out there and make a statement. And I expect us to go to Leicester and and really stick it to him. You know, I'm expecting a high intensity game and I think we're going to win there. I think we owe it to them. I think we 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 really owe them one. And I think we should go there. I hope there is something in it for them. And I, I actually hope that they are anxious because I think if they are a little anxious, they'll make mistakes. And if we're on our game, we'll take advantage. So I, I, it's a very important game to me. And I think we're going to finish. Uh, I think we're going to finish sixth at the very least this season. I mean, I really do. I, I don't know where this burst of optimism is coming from. Possibly over four decades of being a, a committed four and a half decades of being a committed supporter but I mean I don't know I think our approach to the two games should be different though I think um, Villa um, we ought to be looking to certainly end saying not dissimilar to what we've done today I think um, there'll be chances there but uh, against Leicester I think we probably need to be a little bit more cagey and yeah maybe that's one that um, so Bale for instance sits out and you know maybe need, need to bide our time on that one a little bit more and be a bit a bit smarter Send him on. Yeah, I noticed. Um, I don't think Ming's played for Villa today, and he wasn't in the squad either. So I don't know if he's okay. been injured. I'm not sure if he's been injured or whether Dean Smith is um, just because it's the end of the season, middle of the season. Maybe he's playing some other faces. I don't know. Mm. Just to round this off, I, I, I have been. Um, I'm a big fan of the Secret Footballer books uh, because they're sort of like you know a little trashy, a little gossipy, but you know they're real. And I have, I've just been listening to one. I think what goes on abroad stays abroad. It's basically about pre-season stuff and and summer tours and everything. But he does get into end of season attitudes and he said that what's very interesting is that there used to be a lot of the proverbial on the beach 
for the final few games until the bonus schemes were significantly uh, reorganized and re-upped uh, because chairman and, 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 you know, sporting directors and, you know, whoever the people who deal with these things are realized that this on the beach mentality was, was quite dangerous, you know, in terms of providing mm. good football to the end of the season. So I wonder if anyone can truly afford to be on the beach at this point, because the, the bonus pools are significantly tied to your league position. I'd, I mean, I'd agree with that stuff because I've watched some games recently and, and have visibly noticed. I thought, They've given them a really good game, and there's no reason to give them a really good game. And I don't know whether this is a reflection again of the Premier League just being a real, as well, contested mm. league right from the you know right from the start to the finish. But there was definitely some games, and I was just thinking they're just organised, up for it. They're putting loads of energy into it and things like that. And years ago, there would have been the on the beach mentality, I think. So it is. It might be, as you say, linked to what you're saying, money. That's yeah. all it. <laughs> yeah, and uh, just before I say goodbye to you guys, I think it would be churlish of us not to. Um, Pay tribute to the referee in the West Brom Liverpool game today, who absolutely made sure there was more than enough time for Allison to get forward and head the winner in what was the fifth and a half or sixth minute of injury time, thus making sure that Liverpool uh, did eventually get the win that their performance did not deserve today. So, uh, congratulations again to the timekeepers in that game, and uh, nice to see that some things remain consistent for certain clubs. Liverpool doing well pro- probably is what I need for me to be taken to my happy place and Chelsea to finish outside of the top four. So this is one of the rare occasions where I was actually quite happy to see that. And I, I like seeing a goalkeeper score. So, yeah, um, that's good fun. So, and far be it for me to interfere with a man's happy place. Yeah. On that note, thank you very much, gents. Uh, thanks, Gareth. Thanks, Ricky. <laughs> thanks, Milo. Thanks. Thanks very much. Uh, you... You can find us on Twitter and Instagram. Give us a follow and say hello. And we will be back next week with a look back at these last two games of the season against Villa and Leicester. In the meantime, if you like what you're hearing, there's an awful lot more in the archives. A lot of oral treasure. So go dig in. Enjoy. Have a compliment from us on your errands, whatever you need to do. But we will be there to give you entertaining company. I can guarantee you that. Thanks very much. See you next week.